Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we are talking about the seasons in Concy for portraits of John Berger. Uh, this is a four-part documentary uh, about the academic, writer, playwright, artist John Berger, uh, conducted of four different films, uh, all linked together by Tilda Swinton and Colin McCabe. And joining me to talk about this are Jenna Hobbs. Hiya. And Helen Seymour. Hello. Now, John Berger may be a name that you're familiar with um, for his work Ways of Seeing, which uh, for me and for Helen were introduced to uh, in academia in the School of Arts. And uh, so for our podcast pitch to begin this week, I wanted to ask you guys to pitch me uh, a documentary about a figure from your academia that maybe we didn't, you didn't know about or, or other people, I should say, wouldn't know about or you may be familiar with, you know the name, uh, just as a lot of people may be familiar with Berger's name. And this film kind of brings the person to the screen, if you will. Uh, Helen? Right, so I did History of Art, so Tilda's totally taken who I would do. Yeah. <laughs> John. Yeah. She's taken that one. Um, so I probably do Roland Barthes because I did a photography module and uh, specifically his text, Camera Lucida, which is such a beautiful text. I didn't n- know anything about him and I didn't really know anything about photography before I did the module. But even just as a piece of writing and about the idea of photography and whether there's kind of any soul or essence that you can really capture in a photograph, it's amazing and he did a lot of the writing just alone sort of in a period of like grief and melancholy and there's a picture at the beginning of these really blue like sea blue curtains that kind of give a sense of the atmosphere that he was writing in so I'd love to see a documentary about him in that state and him doing that and maybe look at him during different times in his life if we did like four pictures Mm. and then ending with this kind of greeny blue hue curtain I think it'd be great. That's, and I think a lot of people will think of a different text when we think of Bart as well. Mm. And and this will be a completely different angle and a completely different art form, actually. Yeah. Because we you wouldn't even necessarily associate photography with him either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But honestly, it's re- you should read it. It's really short. Yeah. Everyone read it. <laughs> <laughs> I always say it because it's so short and so magical. And um, yeah, I loved it. 
Excellent. Jen? Well, I just changed my mind. I studied um, theatre and as such, I suppose the kind of academics that I think of in that way are performance makers, not necessarily um, people who write textbooks in the kind of way Helen has. So for a while I thought I was going to pitch for Marina Abramovich, who's a really great um, performance artist who has such an interesting way of expressing herself almost her essay like performances but then I just remember she's made her own documentary so she's pipped me to it um, so I think actually um, I'd quite like to see a documentary about Anthony Nato. right well, was... I don't know that a name at all okay well he was a um, sort of French theatrical philosopher who was quite a young man oh and very attractive as a young man there were a few pictures of him (laughs) in the early uh, 20th century Um, and he uh, basically kind of revolutionised the way he thought that theatre could be and he had all these um, off the wall ideas it was like about theatre of destruction and um, he wrote a piece a piece of theatre that was never able to be performed because all of the ideas in it were so I guess not of this world and not capable upon stage but this was in the early 20th century I'm thinking a documentary about Arto and about people actually trying with the technical capabilities we have now to make his play Mm. 100 years later Sounds a bit like there's elements of Charlie Kaufman in mm. there as well, like particularly Synecdoche, New York, into like staging a play that just is never ending yes. in its scope and capability. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. Um, well, I'm going to go with, in my first year of university, I was studying film, um, but I could take a wild module in philosophy. And so we were looking at a few different things. Um, and one of the outside readings that I did was The Long Way by Bernard Matissier. And this has come up recently because um, there's a film coming out later this year called The Mercy, which has got Colin Firth in, and it's about Donald Crowhurst, who was this sailor who uh, took part in this round-the-world race, and he was not really a good sailor. And uh, everyone else is actually competing and can probably sail a boat. Is it like Cool Runnings? (laughs) It's exactly like Cool Runnings, uh, except if Cool Runnings was really bleak. (laughs) and depressing and a descent into the heart of darkness Um, it is uh, Donald Crowhurst goes a bit awry at sea and uh, it's a really brilliant film uh, or well there is a a documentary called Deep Water about it which is brilliant and this is going to be a a kind of traditional narrative adaptation but one of the other sailors is this chap called Bernard Matissier and he was competing in the race and he just loved sailing and being out on the boat and it wasn't really about the race for him and he was going through and he was winning and he kind of got to uh, he had gone around the whole world and there was a kind of a, the southern Spain waiting to come up to the UK to win it and uh, he was just like oh no nah. I like being on the boat too much. <laughs> and he just turned around and kept and went around again um, because that was what he lived for. And so uh, I've got a, a, a... So he was the kind of guy that could be... Well, sail a boat for 18 months without stopping and be completely fine with that and was a, a survivalist in that mm. sense, but also a philosopher. And so there's a lovely quote from him where he says, I am a citizen of the most beautiful nation on earth, a nation whose laws are harsh yet simple, a nation that never cheats, which is immense and without borders, where life is lived in the present. In this limitless nation, this nation of wind, light and peace, there is no other ruler besides the sea. Oh, that's very lovely. Yeah. And his, so his book, The Long Way, is full of, like, you'll get a paragraph of that, but then 
to earn that paragraph, you've got to deal with a chapter about knots <laughs> and, and tides. And it's like, I got, I'll get through this and then I can get to more lovely poetic bits about the sea. Uh, so I was going to split this into two parts or get two directors and have uh, Michael Dudok DeWitt, who did the animation The Red Turtle, which mm. has just come out, which is a beautiful animation for sea um, and really philosophical without being overtly uh, aggressive in its kind of intelligence. And I'd lo- love to see some animation sequences of Matissier at Sea, but then Kevin McDonald, who did Touching the Void. Um, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, really intense survivalist documentary there to handle the kind of sailing sequences as well. And that would be my pitch. Jake, that would be good. I know, shit. Just research. research. <laughs> Having a better idea yeah. than the rest of us. <laughs> Wins every time. What he's it? done there, Jenna, is he's brought along a quote. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, Mutissier's quote, really. I think he's, he's won the points there. But interesting, I, tried, I, I looked up the cast list for this new film and his person has not been cast. So I, I, I was trying to figure out who you could possibly have to Ooh. cast him. Well, you've still got time to make yeah. your pitch. Yeah, I could go for it. <laughs> I've definitely got the look of a guy that could... If there's someone that looks like they could handle 18 months at sea... With Jake, Jake Cunningham. Cunningham. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, uh, so... Oh, thank you, guys. Um, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Is that your first win, Jake? Um, I think I've won one before. But it's always odd when you're hosting. It feels like you shouldn't really... But, you know, I'll let it slide this time. Um, So let's move on to the Seasons on Quancy Four Portraits of John Berger. Um, This is a bit of an odd one because we've got to kind of restructure how we would normally talk about our film because normally we have one film to talk about and in a way Mm. we have four different films to talk about now. Um, So the the first one is Ways of Listening and this, uh, this is directed by Colin McCabe and this is more about Tilda Swinton and John Berger's friendship and what they have in common and just their their meeting and talking and it is listening it really isn't it it's it doesn't feel like it's any larger than that yeah this was my absolute favorite of the four i'm fascinated always by human relationships and interesting relationships that you don't normally see like they point out they're two people who are 34 years apart in age but born on the same day and feel like they have this special relationship because of that and throughout all of their discussions you see how close they are but also that there isn't necessarily or why is there a bigger reason that they're so connected to one another it's Mm. quite interesting to observe I think what's really good is that it's really showing a relationship, like you said, that we don't normally see. And I've said for a long, long time that there's not enough things about friendship, just friendship, like platonic Mm. friendship. And this does this so beautifully and so well. Um, But in a way, and I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit, is that it does it in a way where I was wondering, it almost seemed inaccessible to me. And that makes it sound like it's distant, and it's. I didn't find it distant. Okay, I found it really, like, warm to like listen to, and I loved watching it. But there was a distance because I was wondering whether I would be able to be in a relationship like that. And I find I found it difficult difficult to conceive how I could be mm. because there, like you said, there didn't seem to be anything really that you could pin down of like why they got on or, or anything, and some of apart from this shared connection that that was really more about listening than yeah. anything that you could see. And I was kind of 
wondering how, how I would fit into a relationship like that. And it was something that I really wanted because yeah. it's so nice to see, but it seemed unattainable to me. And I found that an interesting thing that they've managed. I felt like that and yet I found it warm. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know if I, I... I do see what you mean there, but what, what I really like about this this little film and the fact that it's placed as the first film is that a lot of people, myself included, and maybe yourself as well, Helen, see Berger as an academic, as a writer, yeah. uh, as intelligent yeah. person who is separate. And mm. I, di that distance that you said is there. And this immediately takes that away and stops him from being the writer of that book and the write the creator of that television show and the writer of that script and instantly makes him a person and the same can be said for Tilda Swinton because we see Tilda Swinton in films and we see her on a catwalk again we have a distance and she's statuesque mm -hmm. and she's piercing and you think of her as not being able to have like this kind of lovely warm mm -hmm. um, relationship and it's diffused almost instantly because they just there's a moment where she looks into the camera and smiles because she's caught off guard but laughing at something that he said and it's just from that moment we're in there and we're in the room and we're watching them cook and it's just really wonderful it's so intimate and it's so not glamorous in that way that you were saying as you see someone as an academic or as a star that you can't imagine them being in a simple home in like a, a place where they would chop apples together mm. or just talk you can't and i think it yeah it humanizes them both instantly in in a really beautiful way I, with what you just said, this is why I find it really interesting because I agree that I instantly felt really warm towards them and I felt like I was part of it. But there, it's, I think it's the way that they talk. I think I was sitting there thinking, I haven't got an interesting story about my how, how my dad peeled apples. Like, there's something about the way that people interact and that it, can, it is in this academic way that I find myself feeling like I don't know if I would be able to... Um, contribute to this conversation even though I can't quite put my hand on what I feel that I'm lacking if yeah. you know what I mean and I really find it interesting in watching those especially there's another um, conversational piece in the third one that I found that a lot more and lately I've been so interested in like how we present conversation and also home and feelings of nostalgia and things like that um, I've said before like I find in some things there's like a I put it in quote marks, like a John Lewisification of certain scenes in certain films. Um, oh, it's the one about the monster. A monster calls. A monster calls, right? And that's about sickness, and so it's something that I'm really interested in and I'm researching. But like, I guess because it's a children's film, they always put like a colourful blanket around it, and it's it. The scene has to look really beautiful and like a John Lewis advert. And I feel I felt a tiny bit when I was watching this, like. There's something about someone sitting in a beautiful warm lamplight and peeling apples that as, as it feels warm and you feel part of it and the way they're talking, there's some distance there because it's not nostalgia to me. Yeah. Like, and I think to feel really connected with that scene, it has to come with a feeling of nostalgia. And I didn't have that because lots of people don't, like quite a lot of people don't have that environment mm. that they think, oh, that was like my childhood or that's mm. like home. And this isn't a criticism of the film at all. This is my own personal yeah, yeah. way that I watched it. Um, so 
I just, I really, I'd be so interested to hear like so many other people's yeah. reactions well, like, to it. I, for me, I can totally see that environment. Yeah. Like, and be within it. Yeah. Um, but as even if you can't see that, you're you're still it's it is as the title says, it's a portrait of a person. Oh, for and sure. And that's what this mm. is, this yeah. gives us that insight into. It's not just the portrait of a person; it's a portrait of a place and a home. Oh, totally. And being able to and I think I was I was caught by the just the 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 cinematography in this sequence is it's not it is original in a way for being quite plain in mm-hmm. that the shot of uh, Tilda Swinton peeling the apples is like shot from above looking down and then the reverse shot of Berger is just a normal kind yeah. of over the shoulder plain close up mm. but that's just to fit in the apples and her peeling it so it does, you don't get this broken editing of close up of the apple close up to her talking close up to wide um, close up to wide <laughs> wide <laughs> close up to him yeah. it, it feels very unbroken and I know that's there's trickery in the edits and I know it's it's been cleaned up afterwards but it feels like such an organic conversation just because there are these two shots and you see her peeling and talking and there's no way it could have really been broken up definitely it, it does feel almost like home video in mm. some ways I think Especially, I don't know if there is a quality in the actual way it was filmed that gives it that almost like nineties. I think tape. it is. Yeah. It is low budget. Like mm-hmm. they've they've gone out there with not a lot of gear, and actually, I think there's there's a shot in this one where they're making the food and it's fairly high quality. And then there's a bit I think where the crew actually come and eat, mm. and one of the crew has just put maybe his phone down to record that moment because he can't man a camera, <laughs> and so it goes even lower quality for a bit. And it's got this nice reflexivity as well, which again comes into that portrait of John that he is just completely happy to let everyone in here and do this. It's not this uber intense artistic production of what his life is. He's just like, come round, come and and make me some pudding. That's fine. (laughs) Let's sit around and let's eat and let's talk. Yeah, there's no pretense to it, which is great. And I think that's for me why I I got the most out of this sequence and the fourth one I say sequence they should be films the first I mean film. we should say as well they've each got their own credits so it's not even something like Moonlight where it's divided into three yeah. parts or something like that they are really yeah stylistically yeah. I think there's mm-hmm. there's similarities between this and the last one um, but yeah they have their own identity as well um, but I think that that first one really focuses on Swinton and Berger and their relationship and their history and how they came to be who they are yeah and it was I, so interesting the way mm. they were speaking about their fathers and that kind of um shared feeling they both had of not being spoken to as children and how that's kind of reflected in their own lives but also how they found each other and how they find that as a connection mm. between it and the idea of war and soldiers and and things I absolutely loved when he was talking about uh, twin souls mm. and about I think that's because I'm a big old romantic but that they were talking about how they would have known each other in another life and set their appointment for the 5th of November yeah. to meet each other again but she was just a bit late <laughs> yeah and the, the fact that, that they had they both were told by their parents that on bonfire night their birthday that the fireworks were, were for them mm. and despite that age gap both of their parents told them the same thing Mm, which is very really nice. lovely. There's actually there's a particular moment uh, moment in this one where John says something which then 
occur the way the way that he says it occurs in all of the films uh i think in the, his ability to just create the most wonderful turns of phrase instantly oh yeah like just a, the most fierce intelligence and an artistry of language because he's talking about his understanding his father's experience of war and this was the first world war and he he says something along, along the lines of he understood the continent of his dad's mm. work but he just couldn't see the borders or the roads and just coming up with that <laughs> out of thin air it's just phenomenal and then you you kind of get a bit of understanding of how everyone fell in love with this guy <laughs> like if you can just talk like that and and the sequence is ways of listening and when it finished I thought oh no that's a shame I yeah, thought I, I, like this could have been 90 minutes of that I, I could have had 90 minutes of just them making that crumble yeah. honestly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so um, I shouldn't uh, miss the credits on there that was ways of listening uh, that's Colin McCabe and that was written by Tilda Swinton as well um so the next up, uh, the second sequence is Spring by Christopher Roth, which is by far and away the most experimental mm-hmm. of them. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and it's quite a big change after you see John so close up and so at home and intimate. Um, and then you don't, you don't really see him. At, is he even in that one? I don't, I don't think he's, I don't, I don't think he's in no, it. No, you don't really see him at all. And it's... I think something you mentioned beforehand is that this is the one that focuses mainly on his work rather than his personality, which I couldn't quite work out how to say, but you told that to me earlier and now I'm going to say it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, uh, it's, it's almost like it's trying, it's, I say try, I think it does, and it would be to discredit the director for saying it doesn't. It's, it's, interpret, it's creating a screen adaptation of his ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, directly in this instance about animals mm-hmm. um, so the first film ways of listening was winter that's set in the week before Christmas this is spring and so as it's spring it takes animals mm-hmm. as its subject if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day Sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And it looks at what the writing that John made on animals, which I had no idea was quite a substantial amount of his work. And he wrote a lot about that, and which I don't think any of us knew. No, uh, um, not at all. No, no idea. And so it takes passages that he had written and looks at them with context of footage that was that they shot in Concy of the cows and the pigs there along with archive footage as well from um, features that John did on TV shows and films that he made himself. Yeah, I think this is it's the most aggressive yeah. of the four and perhaps the least accessible but it makes you, you, I don't know, it makes, it feels like this should be the one we should be being made to think about. Would yeah. Well, there's a bit where it describes a pig that really got me, generally. Mm. Yeah, I felt really upset during the pig section. Just like at this, you're talking about when he kind of speaks from the perspective of the pig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I found it very upsetting, almost vegetarian. <laughs> no, yeah. but I generally have been struggling a long time mm. whether I should be vegetarian or vegan. And sometimes I think, oh, what if it like it's like in Buddhism where you get reborn as something, and then you everyone that eats meat gets reborn as an animal. And this isn't why I think I'm. That sounds like oh, I should be vegetarian because, God, I don't want to be an animal. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't want to be killed like they are. That's horrible. Like only because it would affect me. <laughs> like genuinely, I just thought about it in that way. So that way that he he describes it. F- f- as the pig is like a human man being being wrestled to the ground mm. and being mugged. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I've been thinking. Yeah. Like, oh, no. And it has this scene of a, of a pig and the, the pig's eye. Yes. Oh, gosh, that was so powerful. Just the, like, real, like, study and focus on the pig and the way that you never think before. As I was watching it, I was like, aren't pigs' noses beautiful and their mouths and the way that they, like, work oh, like that? Oh, that's, that's amazing. Because I, I thought, I don't like pigs' noses. <laughs> I find them weird. It's one of those things where I was like, it's so clever that that's the way it's made. Uh, I d- yeah, I, and there was some really... Jake was uh, eating a bacon sandwich at the time. Oh, I, oh, I don't like no, that. It was the nose kind of freaked me out a bit. Um, I, the, the eyes, they're really expressive eyes of all of the animals, and I think it, it was a conscious decision to focus in on the eyes mm. there. Um, but I don't... It's not preaching anything no not thing. at all no no it doesn't it doesn't tell you you shouldn't be eating pig or you shouldn't be eating meat it kind of just it you know gives you the perspective of this animal as it's going on. or it's not the it's not the pig's perspective is it it's the person who's taking the pig mm. out his sort of like but he kind of embodies his thoughts mm. and his feelings yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah well you know it's a testament to it because I actually believed it was the pig's perspective for a yeah. little while there um yeah just sort of really sad and like really affected me quite deeply well you saying he has the most amazing turns of phrases yeah. phrases like he ends that section with it's death was like the draining of a basin yeah oh that's incredible though yeah. like it, as a writer if mm. you're if you're looking for like a simple image that's not overcomplicated, that wants to you know get across the emotion you're trying to convey you can't do better than that mm. 
Um, and I was wrong, like I said, he wasn't in this one, but then of course there were footage yeah. like, sort of archived of him. But I, I guess the reason I was sort of remembering that he's not in there is the John we see with the apples is not in there. Yeah. Like, mm. Which I found a really yeah. interesting and contrast. The f- they are in Concy as well, so they could have filmed yeah, him. Yeah, but they talk about him being um, bereaved, mm. and I, I wasn't sure if that was like a true kind of thing or that was how they were setting up the narrative. Yeah. Like, I think he was bereaved at that time, but whether... Yeah, because we do see Beverly, mm. his yeah. wife, in the, in the first film, who true. was then, um, a, well, a noticeable absentee yeah. from the others particularly in the last one um yeah so that's that's spring uh, by christopher roth which is the second film and the third is a song for politics uh which is by uh bartex Ziados and uh colin mccabe again and i think this this feels uh the most high high profile in a way it, like the most staged like it feels like this uh, one puts him in the context of our world a bit more, or yes, the world he's yeah. come from, because, you know, when you're in Concy, it's very removed, and, and the second one, it's all about the animals, it's really different, it's not the world that we live in, and no, it's not London, it's not England, and I think this one makes it him more real as the man that people thought he was. Yes, yes, and this is um, this puts John, along with four other people, uh, basically in a round table, and... I, I, there doesn't seem to be any set questions. It seems like they're ready to just tackle big ideas. <laughs> I think everyone wants to do that. And John is there in a shirt and a gilet, and everyone else is in a suit. And he's just like, "Yeah, this is casual. I'm just going to talk about the biggest debates around the world. But that's fine. That's just every day, isn't it?" And the other people must be so nervous and ready for this. Um, and it, it makes some really that there are big ideas at play here but those are not the moments where this one for me shines and I think you'd probably agree Helen yeah so this I found the most uncomfortable to watch because I hate things like that (laughs) (laughs) and I I sort of had this real thing against sort of academics who think that just the sound of their own voices is is sort of enough to fill a a programme or something and it was set up like that and I also felt that there was not enough listening being done particularly by the men when a woman was speaking and that is that is just true you can watch (laughs) it back like she gets interrupted a lot which was annoying me um but it's it's just i think it's i think a little bit what i was talking about in the beginning is that it doesn't feel like i the, like someone could just i don't have the words that they have i don't i don't talk think about my ideas in that way i'm certainly not as clever as them and that's fine but the way that i express my thoughts doesn't suit a round table yeah. like I, I i wouldn't feel comfortable there I, I, you say you, say you wouldn't armed. feel comfortable sitting around a desk with like maybe <laughs> Three people sharing an opinion, having a little chat. <laughs> to be honest, it doesn't come. It's not like a real natural thing. So when yeah. I watch it, I'm not like, and you're like, I know you. Like if it, if it was with strangers, I I'm too. I sort of say I'm too much. Like I'm aware of that in within myself. So watching it, I've got a bit annoyed and a bit sort of grumpy yeah. when they were just banging on about quite a lot of them were banging on, I'm banging on now quite a lot of them were banging on weren't they there is a I think he's an American chap um, the, a younger American chap with glasses and black hair who I think was relishing this moment a bit yeah. too much um, and when we've been to lectures and things like there is always this kind of guy yeah I think that's what it was reminding me of yeah, yeah. 
Um, he's the kind of guy that after a like if there's a screening of a film, he's the kind of guy that would put his hand up afterwards and say something like, "I think I have more of a statement than a question." <laughs> You've absolutely nailed it. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's there's a lot of people. Um, you know, repeating the last word of someone else's sentence to make it sound like they knew what they were talking Oldest about. Oldest trick in the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a great bit where John kind of shows his intelligence over all of them in one fell swoop. And uh, what it's about hell. Is right. It? <laughs> so, so I think they're talking about kind of uh, left wing and right wing politics. And then John sort of goes off on one about, um, and he says, but he says, but I have a question. Is it not the ones in hell where solidarity is most needed between them? I'm paraphrasing it, something yeah. like that. So he's basically saying like in hell when everything's bad, that's when you need solidarity, that you, you get that feeling from hell, but from heaven you don't really have those. And then it's just silent. <laughs> And a lot of mm. 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 <laughs> and then and then there's a great bit where someone else is like I'm <clears throat> I'm grasping yeah, I'm grasping <laughs> and I love those breaks and George's sort of laughing yeah. as well and yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah it's it's just wonderful to see a man who's just like fiercely clever but at no point makes anyone else feel bad yeah. or yeah. feel like they're he's, stupid he's the one that doesn't do that I feel yeah. like some of the others do definitely but it, it sort of shines the light on his gentle soul even yeah. more yeah um, that, that this one definitely feels like the most present the most rooted in now yeah. as mm -hmm. well um, and I think it's well worth watching, particularly with the amount of politics that we've been talking yeah, about was, at the moment. It was very interesting to draw mm. parallels to. Yep. Um, right, so we will move on to the last one, which is Harvest. And this is directed by Tilda Swinton, who returns from the first one. And this is this is definitely uh, most comparable to the first one. Uh, we return to Concy with uh, Tilda going to John's house. Uh, but this time she has brought her children with her as well. So this one is like the second part of the of the first one, which is why I really, really loved it. And there's a well there's two bits. There's one bit with a box a present and they wrap it with a green ribbon and when they're wrapping it I thought, Oh, look at that green and then when they give it to John, John's like, Oh, look at that green <laughs> like in many ways me and John have a connection. <laughs> um but also he talks about the raspberries. Um with Tilda's children and how his wife Beverly would love to watch them watching them um, eating them mm. and sort of ask them to find a pit to eat them but in front of a picture of her which is so beautiful and he chokes up a little bit when he's talking about it and that sort of broke away any feelings of like oh I wouldn't fit in on this because yeah. I'm like oh vulnerable man I can get on board with that <laughs> like I feel vulnerable too mm. I think that, that bit and the, the bit in the first one about the um the dates of their birthday breaks breaks character for kind of what we think of with modern philosophers as there's a bit of spiritualism there mm. yeah. yeah which yeah. is really surprising and like the fact that they they seem to i think have some small belief that they are linked in some celestial way yeah i think they really and, do and that he does believe that like, it would be see. really great yeah. if they if they did eat those raspberries in front of a picture of his wife. There's a really lovely thing from the first one that, where they talk about photographs being like transportive, so mm. that you can be in different places and um, and things like that, which I found mirrored in that with mm. the photograph of Beverly. Yeah, so lovely. John has a dream where he says, 
did you come by train or by photograph? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Come on, John. <laughs> Stop it. Come on. <laughs> it's too much. It's too beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this this one kind of gets into the, the legacy and yeah. the next generations a lot because we meet John's son um, and he talks about the farm and the barn house and uh, the way that they would feed the cows. And it got me thinking about a bit that um, from the second one, Spring, where they read a, from one of John's texts about animals and he talks about the shepherd and he says that a shepherd, because a shepherd brings life, will bring a cow or whatever, a goat, into the world and then deliver its children and deliver that's children. And in that mm. time, the shepherd will have his own children mm. and there will be an overlap and mm. the, the shepherd's son will then deliver the goat's child mm. And it, the flock will just keep regenerating and mm. regenerating whilst the shepherd won't, obviously. And I think that's kind of reflected in this, that we see John's ideas and John's lifestyle continuing with him and refracting into Tilda's children's as well, that she, that they're blossoming into a relationship with him and with her son. Mm-hmm. or with his son, sorry, that is reflective of the relationship that Tilda and John had as well. A hundred percent. Yeah, it is about that legacy. You pretty much nailed it there. That is, that, and that is what is so beautiful about that. And also in the first one, she talks about, she actually talks about continuing on children, um, continuing on your own story through your children. Mm. And this last one shows how they do that. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really beautiful. Um, and there's a lovely treat just at the very end yeah. after the credits. We, I, mean, I don't want to say it's like one of the best scenes because <laughs> it's after the credits and yes. it feels like just a little sweet at but the end. it's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's really <laughs> lovely. It's just such a lovely uh, motorbike moment yeah. where um, John offers Tilda's daughter motorbike lessons and she's so overwhelmed and then he's like, actually, we've got five minutes now. Do you want to jump on? And she, And then he's just like, great. Helmet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just does it, and and Tilda looks to the camera, and she's like, ah, yeah, oh and she's so worried as well. But she's like, because oh, there's a camera there, and her daughter's excited, and she doesn't want to look like she's not excited for her. But you can see it in her eyes. It's like, ah, oh, don't crash, John. <laughs> um, but I think, and you can see in that her love for him as well that he so is this much, that yeah. he's the type of man that would actually just look down at his watch and go hang on we've got five minutes let's yeah. go on the motorbike now <laughs> uh, yeah it's a really lovely way to end the film as well without too much gravitas again going back to that idea of stripping down the distance between us and these big ideas that it, it shortens that and makes these people feel like people again it's feel he feels so alive as well within that scene with how excited he is to take off on the motorbike and you know sadly he has passed away now and it's nice that it wasn't ended on a on a sad note because of that it was it's felt so alive so energetic in that moment and that's how his sort of legacy lives on yeah, yeah. the way he drives off is yeah. such a perfect way to say goodbye to him really absolutely yeah. Uh, and so we've been talking a lot about our relationships with uh, academia and, of course, John himself. And so uh, I took the opportunity to, uh, if people don't know, we, we record this at the University of Kent. And so I emailed the School of Arts here to see if they would have anyone that would be able to talk to us about John Berger. Uh, sadly, we won't be able to get anyone into interview, but they did give us an email address uh, for Lucy Cash of uh, the School of Arts, who was a big Berger fan, who uh, we gave a copy of the film to. And I've just got a few thoughts to read out from her. 
Um, so uh, she says, uh, bereft as I felt at the death of John Berger at the beginning of this year, it was a very tender pleasure to watch this film. Here are my thoughts. <clears throat> this is a rich, complex film essay, and there are many beautiful moments within its frames. If you listen carefully, you can get a feel for the extent of John Berger amidst its layered terrain. As cited in the third film, A Song for Politics, John Berger had the extraordinary ability to heed the difficult realities of the present political context and the accompanying need for collaboration and solidarity, whilst extending a precise attention to the present moment, to the extraordinary, extraordinary ordinariness of being alive. The combination of these qualities is rare and complex, and perhaps the most fitting way to understand the power of this is to spend time in his presence. The Seasons in Conci offers this to us, for which I for one am very grateful, and is most successfully so when Berger is in dialogue with long-term friend and collaborator Tilda Swinton, or her children, or fellow theorist and writer Colin McCabe. It is and has always been apparent both in his writing and his presence in this film that Berger was free of the constraints of hierarchy, itself a radical position especially in today's current climate. Swinton and McCabe, established as they are in their own fields, can meet Berger as an equal, in a way that inevitably the young filmmakers in, for instance, the second section, Spring, are unable to. It's possible to discern underneath the surface of this film that that lack of hierarchy was perhaps itself a challenge for them, and what a daunting task to attempt, a response to his intellectual breadth and depth and his extraordinary attention. Accordingly, my only critical quibble in this brilliantly conceived and generous film is that in attempting to creatively represent his radical nature, Spring employs well-intended but slightly self-conscious performative filmmaking strategies which feel like a distraction, a need to contribute rather than a more profound filmic response. Perhaps inevitably the most simple uh, but never simplistic moments in this film are the most profound. Moments of interaction, of dialogue, or just the sense of a place, an object, or a way of being a way of being speak with their own intensity and mean that this essay film has much to offer that is unique to moving image. Watching the film brought alive brought alive a life lived in such a way that the present is always connected to the past and the future, but never to its detriment. I could have happily eavesdropped for longer on conversations that took place. To say this another way means that I didn't want the film to end and immediately had to watch parts of it again, scribbling down notes as I watched. If the word inspiring is sometimes undermined by its too frequent usage, this film properly reinstates storytelling as an act of generosity. The uncertainty to do with hope that has nothing to do with optimism, which all truly inspiring works of art engender. Wow, really lovely. Yeah, uh, that's so, great. So uh, thank you, Lucy, so much for sending that and giving you time uh, to give us your thoughts there on this film. Uh, so that is uh, The Seasons in Conci, Four Portraits of John Berger. And that is in Curzon Cinemas today and also on Curzon Home Cinema to watch instantly. Uh, and that's not the only thing that we want to recommend on Curzon Home Cinema this week. Uh, also out is... 
20th century women it's my favorite film i've seen so far this year it's absolutely incredible um set in the 70s got net benning in it um greta gerwig Elle fanning among many other great actors and great performances it's just a great story that i think anyone will get a lot out of watching yep uh and if you do get the chance to watch it then make sure you go back and listen to our podcast with mike mills the director yeah Moonlight is on Curzon Home Cinema. I'm sure you have heard of it, but if you <laughs> missed it at the cinema, now is your chance to catch up. This is the musical, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. with Ryan Gosling. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's an amazing, amazing film. Um, don't don't think, oh, I've, that's got loads of hype. It's probably not very good. It is really, 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 really very good. Also, one quick thing about John Berger that I just want to quickly... If you've never even heard of him, don't feel like you can't see this film. Like, you can get so much out of this film. Oh, yeah. Like, I should have said that in the, mm-hmm. in the intro. Oh, yeah. Like, you don't need to know anything about him. You can just jump straight into this and understand the sense of a person and how intelligent he, intelligent he is. Yes, and uh, Ways of Seeing, his most famous text, which I didn't realise, had a TV series to go with it uh, called Ways of Seeing. And the whole thing is on YouTube. So go out there and find that as well. No, nothing. There's nothing to get in the way. Yeah. Um, seek it out. Uh, so yeah, Seasons in Concy, Four Portraits of John Berger. Go and find it. Um, until next time uh, we must say thank you thank you to CSR for letting us use their studio Uh, we will see you next week it's goodbye from Jenna bye it's goodbye from Helen au revoir and it's goodbye from me goodbye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.